Produced by Podcast Architects. You're listening to the Lead On Podcast, where we discuss experiences in the armed forces while exploring lessons from military leaders. Welcome to another edition of the Enlisted Leadership Foundation's Lead On Lessons from Military Leaders. I'm David Deary, the president of the Enlisted Leadership Foundation, and joining me today on our podcast is the retired Command Master Chief, Ken Ballard. Ken, how are you this uh, fine December morning or afternoon, excuse me? Uh, good afternoon, David. I, uh, as always, I'm having an outstanding Navy and Marine Corps day, man. I, I cannot complain. I always remember that about you. You know, I mentioned December. People may not even watch this until uh, early 2022, but that's okay. So Ken is a former, as I mentioned, Command Master Chief. Ken joined the Navy in 1995 from Mississippi, and he can share about that. I was fortunate to meet Ken in 2005. I think I was around the 12th crew member on board the USS Macon Island. Uh, Then it was pre-com Macon Island. Ken had showed up a few days before me, uh, actually a couple weeks before me, uh, as a newly promoted chief petty officer. Immediately gravitated towards Ken's personality. As a command master chief, even I know need, need to have somebody to tap into for some leadership development. And I quickly tapped into Ken with his experience, his warm heart, his beaming personality, and it actually in his, his hunger to grow and to learn. So I'm excited, Ken, for you to join me today. Uh, so before we roll into the, the meat of the conversation about leadership and an aspect of leadership that you have found uh, something that, that many people need to be made aware of, I'll just say it there as a little little teaser. So, you know, long, throughout our leadership journeys in life, we've often been given leadership advice. What's the worst piece of leadership advice someone ever gave Ken Ballard? <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I, you know, one comes to mind, you mentioned as far as about uh, when we met, you know, I was a brand new promoted chief petty officer. And uh, I, I never will forget my initiation. Um, and I was very close with our senior enlisted leader at the time. And uh, throughout the entire process, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to absolutely everything that the mess is throwing at me. You know, I'm, I'm hinging at every word. And so I'm a very literal guy, right? And, um, and so I, I finally, you know, make my way around to my senior enlisted uh, leader. And I give him my charge book. I present it and I start the, the spiel. And he says, no, 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 come on around, have a seat. And uh, so I uh, give him my charge book and he's giving me that, that words of wisdom, right? And, uh, and I was one of those guys that if I took the time to uh, go and seek you out for uh, knowledge and wisdom, any type of advice that you could give me to be successful, trust and believe me, I- I'm valuing that, right? So an individual who took the time to sign my charge book, I made it a point to read it while I'm standing in front of him. And I never will forget this advice. He says, uh, Ken, first and foremost, congratulations. Uh, welcome to the mess. Remember to take care of your sailors because they're going to take care of you. Never forget where you came from and always give your hardest job to your lazy sailor. <laughs> Okay, where's the wisdom in that? Explain that to so, me. So I got to tell you, I was so disappointed. I was so disappointed. And, and he looked at me and, and, and my wife, she says all the time, she's like, 
you know, you are a horrible liar. Your body language says it all. You just may as well come out and say what's on your mind. And so he read my body language and he says, what's wrong? And I said, so let me make sure I get this straight. Your advice to me is to give my hardest job to my laziest sailor. Are you kidding me? And, and so we, we had this long discussion about it. And I told him, I said, hey, you know, I, I respect your opinion, you know, but within my occupation and where I'm trying to go and the things that I'm trying to achieve, it is absolutely no way that I can give my hardest job to my laziest sailor because he's going to he or she is going to find a way to get it done quicker. I'm not going to do that. So that's by far uh, is one of those things that stand out to me that, you know, I'm not going to say the most horrible bit of advice that I could have received, but definitely the most useless <laughs> piece of advice that I could have received. Well, you know, his first two comments were spot on. Uh, but yeah, that, that final comment that you want to grab onto, you, you know, and you, you mentioned something about yourself, which I can, I can attest to, and many people that know you can, uh, can will attest to it. And that's, if anybody makes a recommendation to Ken Ballard to say, hey, you should go look up this individual. You should give this person a call. I am blown away how, how quickly you take action on that. Uh, many people, myself included, might, might file that away, make a voice note, write it in a notebook, and then eventually come back like, oh, I got to remember to do that. But I've had people reach out to me a few hours after making a suggestion to you saying, Dave, who's this Ken Ballard that just contacted me saying that they that, that you told them to come see me? Uh, so, you know, and I would tell you that that um, that's something that many people could take away that that know you um, or if they don't know you, that that is a leadership trait uh, that I think is, is something of value. So let me ask you on those lines. Why is it? Why, why do you do that? Why did you start doing that? Did something happen in your life that led you to that? You know, I um, you, you mentioned earlier as far as about uh, uh, being from Mississippi. Um, you know, my, uh, I grew up as far as my father, I'm, I'm son of a politician. Uh, and one of the things that I've always, you know, learned from my dad was, Hey, you, you have to strike while the iron is hot. It's just that simple. And, uh, and as I, I made my time or my tenure in the Navy, one of the things that I realized was that, Hey, you only have so many minutes in a day. Uh, and you got to take advantage of absolutely every last one of those minutes. And if people are willing to sacrifice, whether it's 10 minutes, whether it is three minutes of their time to help you, um, it's incumbent upon you to take advantage of what they just invested. It could be an hour or it could be 60 seconds. They willingly invested some time into you. Uh, you should definitely take advantage of that. And I'm, I'm not the type of guy to leave anything on the table. If, if someone is going to invest, whether it's 60 seconds or 60 minutes with me, I'm definitely going to try to uh, help them uh, get a return on their investment. Yeah, you are a committed individual. You give a lot of your time, talents and treasure. Uh, that is for sure. So uh, we had talked about <clears throat> you being a or leadership. We talked about people being self-aware. So what mm -hmm. is being a, a self-aware leader? Uh, it's funny. Uh, I had sent you a, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to it, but uh, I sent you a podcast by John Maxwell. He just recently re released a book called The Self-Aware mm -hmm. Leader. I thought, oh, apropos, here we are getting ready to talk about that. So uh, how does Ken, Ken Bauer define a self-aware leader? 
Um, a self-aware leader. Um, you know, David, I if if I could put it into perspective, um, I would I would probably start off by saying that hey, it's it's having those tough discussions with people that uh, you probably have some form of respect for. Uh, because we, we have blind spots all around us. And, and I, I think that one of the things that just really comes to mind with me is that, uh, you know, in, in the Navy, when we talk leadership, it's always surrounded some type of triangle, right? You know, there's a lot of triangles when we talk about uh, uh, leadership and especially in the Navy. And so uh, I sort of look at it as uh, quadrants, you know, uh, and in some of those quadrants, whether it's the Johari window or it's the time quadrants by Sean Covey about the seven habits of highly effective teams. You know, we have a tendency of of ignoring some quadrants and spending a lot of time in other quadrants. So if if you can get someone to with within the group of individuals that you trust to have honest and tough conversations with you uh, about how they see you and how you see yourself. I think ultimately that leads more in towards the self-awareness that people oftentimes in my uh, perspective, they, they sort of run away from. So, so self-awareness from what I'm, if I could paraphrase a little bit. So self-awareness, obviously being aware of myself, mm-hmm. but that awareness of I have of myself may not be how those around me see me. Right. Absolutely correct. And, you know, it's often said perception is reality. And I mm-hmm. hate that. I got to be honest. I, I, I mm-hmm. uh, on one hand, I, I disagree with that because it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. But that is, truth be told, if somebody, especially in the self-awareness case, has a perception of who David Deary or Ken Ballard is, and if their perception of us isn't the self-awareness of the reality that we see ourselves, that's, I think to your point, those are those difficult conversations uh, that we might want to have. To why do you look at me differently than I look at myself? What what am I saying, doing portray, to help portray or create that image? Is that kind of what you're getting at? I, I yes. Okay. You know, we. Uh, I remember, and, and this is not necessarily on the lines of leadership. Uh, but um, at, at one point in time, um, when I was in San Diego, I used to work as a personal trainer slash wellness coach for the YMCA. And uh, I remember one night a lady walked in and, um, you know, we we had dialogue in the past. And so she walked up with a smile on her face and she says, hey, you know, I've seen you around and, and I, could you help me out? <laughs> and so I said, OK, great. How can I help you? And she says, so I've just been invited to a wedding. I'm going to be a bridesmaid. And um, she says, so I need help getting into this dress. It's a strapless dress. <laughs> so I said, OK, well, specifically, how can I help you? <laughs> and David, she says, so she raises up her arm and she starts wiggling it like that. And she says, I need all of this under my arm to just go away. <laughs> and so I laughed and I asked, I said, OK, so first and foremost, uh, your body is is not an island to itself it is connected regardless of how you think you're it everything is interconnected so you just can't target one muscle group uh and ignore the other muscle groups i said but more importantly this, this wedding that you're going to uh is it a close friend of the family she says absolutely she's my best friend and i said so let me ask you something if your soul had an image 
what would it look like? And so she paused for a second and, and I said, no, seriously. I, and I realized that you coming to me as towards about physical fitness advice, but it, it's a little bit more to that. If your soul had an image, what would it look like? And so she was a bit taken away. And I said, well, what about your friend, your best friend who's getting married? How does she see you? Does she see you as the flabby friend who every time she jiggles her arm, uh, there's an issue? Or does she see you as this right here is my best friend and it is absolutely no way possible that I can get married and move on in my life without her being a part of it? And uh, so she thought for a second and she smiled and um, she says, hey, thank you. And that was one of those things that I would fall into the category of self-awareness, because the way she saw herself um, was completely opposite than the way the ones who love and cherish her the most saw her. And I think after that, you know, we talked and we worked out some uh, uh, after that leading up into the wedding. But she had a paradigm shift as far as about who she thought she was compared to who her loved ones saw her as. And so that's a, another element of self-awareness, you know, that I definitely want to share with people. Uh, because again, if we can't have those tough conversations with the ones who are in our inner circle, uh, then oftentimes you're probably ignoring some blind spots uh, that could very well be beneficial for your growth and development as a person or as a professional. That's rich, Ken. That's 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 great. To, uh, just the the you know uh, bo uh, bookending both of those examples. So, in your experience or our experience in the Navy, as you're working your way up through leader leadership from E1 up to E9 or somewhere in between. Um, at what point in your experience, in your opinion, does someone become self-aware? Like how many people do you think are, are like the bridesmaid? They may not look at themselves as a very good leader. And then what is it that makes the shift where they are? I mean, if it, because there's sometimes too, um, since we promote, it, primarily based on evals and experience, right? And, and I will chuckingly say, chucking, chuckingly say, you know, I, I don't know how great of a leader I am. I just know how to write good evals. Um, and that's how I ended up becoming a, a master chief. But that's, that is somewhat of the case too, right? I mean, we've, we've experienced the, as we grew up in the military, uh, we did, ex we have experienced people in, in leadership positions that have no business being there. Um, and are those leaders ever going to look at you know, from a self-awareness perspective, from asking people how they're doing? How do you address something like that? How do, how do you, you know, look at somebody who doesn't appear to be a great leader, but they think they are? Because I'm sure you've oh, had that's that. that's a lot like, to unpack. Yeah. <laughs> you've, knowing you, you said you're a very black and white individual. You don't operate in gray. You never have. You want... Not that your rules and regs, but there's a process for everything. And you right. want to make sure the process is in place. And if it's not in place, let's get one in place. Let's remove right. uh, that, that gray area. Um, right. so, so the process in place to promote, you know, you get somebody in your chief's mess that isn't a very great leader. Uh, and that's a reflection of you. You're, you're now assigning your laziest sailor the hardest job what do you do? Yeah, David, that's that's a lot to unpack. 
Um, wow. So let me let me start off with some some true self disclosure here, right? Um, you know, when when we come down to uh, military leaders, um, there's a lot of confidence associated with the the rank that you've attained. There's a lot of confidence associated with you know, uh, the, the, your accolades, because we literally wear our heart on our sleeve. You can look at an individual in their service uniform and you can tell how many times they've done a deployment. You can tell how many times, you know, they've done something meritorious. You can look at an individual and tell how many times they've actually saved someone's life, uh, because it's, it's just that visible. And so, uh, in, in, in my humble perspective and, and by no means, uh, am I an expert in leadership? As a matter of fact, me going through uh, my my master's program for transformational leadership, it shows how much I didn't know about leadership. Uh, and I, I really believe what it boils down to is your ability to trust and connect with people. Uh, I, I really believe that that's what it boils down to. Um, you know, like you, where you said that, hey, you know, I'm not necessarily sure how good of a leader I was as a, as a mass chief. And that's a loaded one, you know, because it, it really depends on who you ask, who's writing history for you. You know, you can go back and ask some of your uh, previous bosses and say, hey, how could you describe command mass chief David Deary? Or how can you describe command mass chief Ken Ballard? And chances are they're going to give glowing remarks. They're going to say, hey, they're dynamic. They they, they read my mind. They few steps ahead of me. You know, they took care of people. They looked after families. They looked after the warfighter. You know, they could go down this long list. Um, that's according to how they're writing history. But on the flip side, if you go to the opposite end of that spectrum, and let's just say it is that laziest chief or it is that laziest, uh, you know, junior sale. And you ask them, hey, what would you say about Command Mouse Chief Ken Ballard? And chances are it may be the complete opposite. What do you value? Who did you connect with? You know, um, it, it is it's really dependent on who's writing history. So looking back on my journey, uh, I would tell you that um, I think that was probably my greatest failure as a, a military leader is uh, that I was I was so black and white. You know, that it eliminated the, the possibilities or even the potential of connecting with people as people instead of sailors or as warfighters. Um, and, and, and that's something that uh, I'm learning and that's something that I'm sitting back and, you know, I I reflect on some things that's happened in the past. And it's like, man, you know, I missed the mark with this sailor. But on the flip side, I didn't miss the mark with their mom. I didn't miss the mark with their father. I didn't miss the mark with their spouse. Um, because it's amazing how families will get in contact with you and, and share the struggles that they're dealing with with their sailor. But on the flip side, the sailor that you see every day would be so reluctant to talk to you. And I, I think a part of that is because of, at the time, my inability to even want a connection on a personal level uh, with people. So that's one thing that um, that I, I've learned. And that's one thing that I'm trying to share with with our leaders today, whether it is civilian leaders or even military leaders.
establishing that connection, developing that trust is probably going to yield quicker dividends uh, than long term dividends. Yeah, that is uh, really good. Uh, you know, uh, John Maxwell, who, you know, I'm a fan of, he has a book calls Everyone Communicates, Few Connect. And it's true. We, we communicate all the time, right? Verbally and non-verbally. Uh, and you mentioned earlier, you know, some of just your reaction to that chief who signed your charge book. Uh, mm -hmm. But we don't always connect. And you, it, without that connection, you're not going to build that trust. And without that trust, right. without, without that trust, you could have asked people all day long, hey, how am I doing as a leader? Mm -hmm. And what are they going to, they're going to tell you what you want to hear, not what you need to hear. Right. But when you right. can establish some trust first, and then you can go back, which I'm grateful, uh, you know, our relationship, uh, you know, I feel that we establish that trust because you, you would give me honest feedback and you would give me unsolicited feedback. And I think that's important for every leader. And even though you, you may uh, be so self-aware now that you realize that's not something that you capitalized on. Uh, in uniform, um, but it is something that you're trying to work on now and helping those. And that's what we do, right? We, we None of us are perfect. I've learned so much after my transition that I wish I would have been able to implement in uniform. Right. But that doesn't mean that I can't implement it even now with the people that I have influence with and those that I don't, but can help them have influence to others. Right. Um, you know, we, we are running short on time, but but you you made a comment that that I'm curious. You you said all those not all the sailors, um, you don't feel that you were able to impact, build that connection and trust with all your sailors, but yet they're families. Mm -hmm. So how do you know uh, that that they're family? I mean, you, so you had families call you. <laughs> so yes short answer is yes i've um i, I remember one day <laughs> i remember one day um i was on board ship and I, I was walking the deck place you know at the end of the day before i leave and um we were we were gearing up for some high tempo stuff and and this uh this one guy so i said hey why are you still here you know there's a father-son dance tonight I mean, our father-daughter dance tonight. And why are you still here? And so he gives me this long, drawn-out answer. Um, and I look at his chief, and she sort of gives me an eye. And um, so I, I leave it alone. And so I uh, I go and un uh, pack up my bags, and I'm leaving the ship, and I turn on my cell phone. And I have literally maybe 20 missed phone calls and I two voicemails. <laughs> and so I stopped and I listened to the voicemail and, and this wife, she was not happy at all. She, she was not happy at all. And, um, and I was, I was command senior chief at the time. And, and she's like, senior chief, um, I realized that business on board ship is very important, but my husband needs to be at this father daughter dance. And so she just goes on and on. on. It was it was maybe about a 60 second voicemail. Uh, and so I call her back standing on the pier and I said, and, and, and so we I spoken to her before because of um, she's been to pre-deployment uh, briefs and meetings and things of that nature. And um, so we had a connection uh, and I, I called her on the pier. And she says, I just do not understand why do you keep him on a ship all the time? So it's, it's my fault now, right? And so now 
I it's left up to me to provide a resource to fix this. Uh, and so I asked for the background, you know, when was this father daughter dance schedule? You know, did you go out to get a dress? How's the little girl looking? You know, things of that nature. Uh, and uh, I said, well, you know, let me see what I can do. So I, let me give you a call back in about 45 minutes. And so I walk back on the ship and uh, I see the sailor and he's just standing there having this grand time. Uh, and so I asked, I said, like, hey, you know, uh, just talk to your, your, <laughs> your bride. And he said, excuse me. I said, I just talked to your wife. And so he just turns pale. And I said, dude, why are you not headed home for this father daughter dance? And again, he's giving me every excuse under the sun. So I go and get the department head. And now I got the division the chief or the department chief. And really what it boiled down to was this guy. He didn't know how to dance. And he was reluctant to go to this dance because he didn't want to embarrass himself. So what does he do? <laughs> he lies on the ship. <laughs> so... I uh, we, we got him off the ship. I called his wife as I'm walking down the pier with him. I said, hey, he is off the ship. I am walking down the pier with him. He should be home within the next 30 or 45 minutes. And so she was so thankful uh, of that. I didn't tell her that her husband was lying on the fact that, hey, the, the mission is keeping me here is the reason that I can't participate in this event. Uh, but but years later, you know, I would get a phone call out of the blue you know, from her to say, hey, you know, I just wanted to let you know that my little girl, she's now in high school. And yeah, you know, so it, it was one of those things that, that comes uh, full circle. And, you know, David, I could tell you so many stories on, on you know, connecting with family members um, because oftentimes service members, they communicate the bad at home uh, or, or fail to communicate at all. Uh, and, and oftentimes I found myself being that that bridge between, hey, this right here is all of the great stuff that your warfighter is participating in compared to, hey, your warfighter's in trouble. You know, I, I never wanted to talk to family members from a negative standpoint. I always wanted to have a positive relationship with them. So when sailors would come check in with me and I was in Guam, I specifically had my check ins in the afternoons. Um, so when I called, uh, it would be at a reasonable time for whoever their loved one was. And, and believe it or not, I, I got that from you. You know, that question you used to ask sailors when you first check in, who do you work for? You know, and, and my thing was I always wanted to know, who do you work for? And they'll look at me kind of odd as in, well, what do you mean? My, this is my chief right here. It's like, no, no, if something great was to happen for you, who do I pick up the phone and call? If something bad just happened, who do I pick up the phone and call in? Oftentimes they say, oh, it's my mom. Oh, it's my sister. She's in the Navy station in Florida. So what we would do, we would schedule those appointments right around the time of where we can establish communications with their loved ones. And uh, I would call them and, and we would talk about, hey, were you aware that your son or daughter is responsible for over a half a million dollars in harbor equipment? Were you aware that your son and daughter, they're responsible for the safety and security of this installation? You know, we would have those conversations. So um, in the event something positive happened and I called, they see the number and say, oh, this is Naval Base Guam. Let me answer this. 
or if something bad happened, they'd say, oh, this is Naval Base Guam. You know, let me let me answer this phone call. That's good. So that was that's my relationships with families. That's good. Very cool. Well, we're we're well, we are over time, but that's OK. It's, it's always great to talk to you and, and, and we could share so many stories. Uh, but one more story I would like you to share. OK, is, uh, you know, as leaders, we make decisions all the time, um, but sometimes our decisions aren't very good. But we're lucky and, and they turn out OK. Have you ever had one of those bad decisions that worked out OK, though? Wow. Um, you know, I, I wish I could could jump at the quick and says, oh, yeah, I, this, this is a list of 20 bad decisions that just really worked out. You just never made them. You never made a bad decision. <laughs> no, no, I can't I can't I can't say that. I can't say that we um. So, you know, my boys are teenagers now, right? Uh, and um, they are at the point of life where they they're socializing uh, and it, it's becoming a thing. And so they say, well, hey, you know, can we go and do this? And I say, well, you know what? Let me tell you a quick story, you know, before you go and do this. And believe it or not, um, I, I told them a making island story uh, about uh, the the notorious Red Cup party, you know, where uh, we had uh, a lot of underage drinking uh, and, uh, and and people got in trouble. No one got hurt, but uh, as a result of of uh the the party that was thrown and so I, I told them that story and you know i would tell you that probably one of the things that came out of that that i really got lucky in was that uh two of the individuals who sort of spearheaded the uh party they worked directly for me uh and uh and i knew one of them had an issue uh with alcohol uh, and hey, as a as a brand new chief, you know, what do they tell you to do is say, hey, results, not excuses. If you see a problem, you fix it. Uh, but I wasn't at that level of maturity where I saw a problem and just scanned the entire battlefield for resources. And uh, so I, I, I didn't step up to DAP and say, hey, I think one of my guys, you know, is, is in need of help. Uh, I just tried to fix it locally. Right. Uh, so anyway, fast forward, you know, 10 years later, uh, one of them is a commission officer who's an admin officer and the other one, you know, just got pinned to chief petty officer, which is which is pretty good, uh, considering the fact that, you know, the old swole boss say you're out of good or you're lucky. And that is one of those times, David, I can tell you that we got lucky. You got lucky. That's OK. A little yeah, bit we lucky. got lucky. We all get lucky. Well. Ken, thank you. Thank you uh, for your friendship. Thank you for your service. Thanks for joining me here today, giving us some time, imparting some wisdom. Love to have you back at a future date if, you, if you're up for it. So, you know, David, I, uh, I would like to thank you for this opportunity. Uh, more importantly, though, I really appreciate you for the team that you've put together specifically for the enlisted sailor. I mean, because after you retire, you could have literally said, hey, it's in my rearview mirror. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus on recouping some time with my family that I've lost in the past and uh, working on myself as an individual. And, and you did not take that selfish route. You looked at an opportunity to do something for others. And I, I'm more than happy to be a part of this. And, and my wife knows anytime David Deary calls me. 
I'm answering the call and my answer is yes. So thank you very much for this opportunity and the platform that you're providing these uh, sailors. Much appreciated. Well, thank you, Ken. Appreciate it. And with that, I want to thank everyone for once again tuning in to Lead On Lessons from Military Leaders. I'm David Deary with the List Leadership Foundation. You just listened to Ken Ballard, retired command master chief from the U.S. Navy. Tune in next time when you're going to meet another finding example of a, of a military leader. With that, have a great day and lead on.